Hello, hello, and welcome to our pop talk. I'm Bianca. And I'm Gianna. Um, you know, Gianna, you sound a little odd. Uh, it feels like your voice might have uh, gotten five notes deeper. I think it's this weird cumin-flavored Pop-Tart I ate for lunch. You sound weird, too. What do you think it is? Well, I think it's because today the art Pop-Tarts are in for a very big surprise reveal. Uh, today we have some very special guests, which uh, technically is us. So um, mm. it's the boys of APT. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. What an oh intro. <laughs> what an intro. Yep. So uh, you are here with Andrew and Theban. So welcome, everybody. We're very happy to uh, be here to grace the art pop tarts with our wonderful singing, right? <laughs> That's right. And, and this Valentine's Day special episode, you, you get a treat of us. It's our labors of love for our wonderful partners, Gianna and Bianca. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing, Theban? I'm good. It's been a... Uh, <clears throat> I guess they talk about that too, right? <laughs> they talk they about do the talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm doing well. It's been a long week. I have uh, two midterms this week. Okay. And I have to record this as well. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be well, great. I hope it's not too much of an obligation, you know, as you're probably very busy with work and midterms and then this, but um, wonderful. Yeah. So uh, just appreciate you taking the time to be here for for the fans. Of course. (laughs) I I, I hear John and Bianca saying that through your voice. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm speaking on behalf of our, uh, the Martucci (laughs) ladies. (laughs) Shall we dive into it? Um, Yeah. So I guess just as a small introduction, you know, we are here um, again, the labors of love. It's that time of the year uh, for love and romance. So we are here for a very special themed episode, um, specifically, I would say, related to Valentine's Day and all things love and romance. And we'll talk about it, I guess, from our perspectives, apparently. <laughs> we will. And we totally hope to not bore the audience here because we have some pretty deep conversations we're going to have. We will. We'll probably be very yeah. deep. Yeah. You know, we, we come before you today with the esteemed honor of hosting Art Pop Talk. <laughs> and I can assure you, uh, we really have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but we're going to give it the good old college try. Um and be good boyfriends or fiancés in your case, Stephen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess to begin, maybe we can talk about, um, you know, dating. I think dating is a very interesting situation, um, specifically in relation to uh, with how we met Bianca and Gianna. You know, Theban, you come from a pretty unique background. Um, maybe you could share, like, you know, some of your experiences with, you know, just love, romance, dating. Um, just, I'd be curious to hear your story or just um, your perspectives from your background. Mm, yeah, happy to get into it. Um, so as most of you listening may or may not have known, I was born and raised in Malaysia, came over to America when I was 20. And for those of you who don't know Malaysia's history, um, there is uh, three main races in Malaysia. The Malays, which constitute about 60 to 70 percent of the population. The Chinese, about 20 to 25 percent of the population. And then the Indians, which are around 5 to 8 percent of the population. And Islam is the country's official religion, although the rule of law is democratic with a hint a spice of Islamic uh, conservative laws, uh, specifically for the Muslims, which are about 60 to 70 percent of uh, Malaysia's population. With that comes the amalgamation of mainly these three races. And with that also comes more conservative religious Muslim ideology. When I grew up, Valentine's Day was becoming more and more a taboo topic. It was labeled a Western idea 
that was infiltrating a developing country. For example, they would look down on Malay Muslims trying to enjoy the day with their significant other. It is certainly more common to see in urban settings than rural settings, the whole dating Valentine's Day thing. And, And rural areas have a pretty strong conservative majority that in some states, and this is it's a fun fact. They actually ban men and women to be in the same room in a movie theater. But oh, wow. that's that's a story for another day. Yeah. Well, just interesting, just altogether, I think, thinking about, you know, experiences and like what that can look like in just different cultures and how those holidays are, you know, either acknowledged or not really acknowledged or mm-hmm. uh, just how just social norms really take place, I would say, you know amongst um, different cultures. So I'm just very intrigued. Um, I'm curious too, you know, thinking about like interracial couples, mm-hmm. um, w- what did that sometimes look like? Great question. <laughs> not like we have this not planned, right? <laughs> <laughs> interracial couples are pretty rare in Malaysia, obviously more common in recent generations. And like I said, just now in urban city areas like Kuala Lumpur, the capital of the country. Mm-hmm. It's funny, the country as a whole is becoming better, but you do find hints of ignorance here and there as a whole. It blew my mind when I found out Americans love to tan, for example. Oh, uh, yeah? In, in, yeah, and because and, and in Malaysia, you'd see it in TV ads and casting crews, how the whitest or the fairest skin tone person would get the leading role. Huh. Yeah. And there's literally a skin whitening cream called Fair and Lovely that is famously used by the Indian community. The ad for Fair and Lovely goes, One gloomy day, a dark-skinned Indian woman, it's always a woman, woman by the way, being rejected by her family, friends, and work. Then, one fine, beautiful day, her mom introduces her to Fair and Lovely, and boom! She starts using this whitening lotion and she becomes fairer in a couple of weeks. Guess what? (laughs) After that, she goes out into the world, is welcomed by her family, friends, and meets a nice looking Indian guy. Of course, he is super light skinned and they lived happily ever after. Imagine that is go on. I I don't love it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, absolutely. It's also, I think, you know, in relation to fair skin i remember living in china for a little while and seeing you know the whitening lotions um that are used because that's just kind of what is seen or what appears to be uh the preference or like what what people prefer what what seems to be acceptable is to be um fairer skin but also like i'm wondering does do you think that also comes like into context with some of eastern cultures or countries potentially trying to adapt that sort of Western persona or idea. Yeah. And, and it's surprising they do it in China because I, I didn't know China was that too. Although I did speak to you off script um, before about how (laughs) I I told you some Chinese aunties and back in Malaysia, we call everyone uncle and aunties, whoever are older than us. And so we have some Chinese aunties would wear like really long sleeve and Malaysia is super hot just because they want to cover their skin and they don't want to get, uh, you know, darker. And, and it goes back to that same point you made. Um, just imagine a six-year-old dark-skinned Indian girl, you know, and watching that TV ad that I just talked to you about. And that's real life, by the way. Um, the problem I have with beauty is just right there, you know. Like you said, the juxtaposition between America and Malaysia in terms of this is just grotesque. The grass is always greener on the other side. Right. In America, you see people wanting to tan. In Malaysia, you see people wanting to get fair. It's always inverted or just, yeah, reversed. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I get our Darwinian instincts to seek out the most beautiful looking person in the room. But I think it is certainly damaging our path to lead the good life. And in good my, life. Oh, boy. Exactly. And, and in my <laughs> We're going to jump right into the philosophy. <laughs> man, we, we have all the time to talk about that. But I know. But to be honest, in, in my utopia, people will be more like, oh, my God, look at David Beckham. He's the kindest and most compassionate person out there. How hot is that? <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that you went to David Beckham. Um, what what a just what a sex icon right he sure is and he was definitely my man crush mondays in malaysia is, is right? <laughs> no i'm just were those allowed in malaysia <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it, it truly is interesting. Yeah, and I think it's always just interesting to what is embedded in culture and uh, what ends up becoming socialized and constructed for just uh, more of the sociological development of cultures right. um, and what ends up being certain norms or traditions. So like thinking about, you know, um, a lot of American mentality of just a lot of commercialization, luxury, or just the ideas of spending or the cosmopolitan aspects to America and having, you know, that American dream that also might entail, you know, having a beach house or having a nice yacht and right. being amongst, you know, a sandy shore where everybody's getting tan and everybody, you know, is able to have their skin exposed. And it's very interesting that that's, I guess, people hold in high regard, um, right. at least here in the, in the West. Yeah. It, well, it probably goes to the fact that, you know, <clears throat> marketing has a lot to do with it and TV, sure. social media, but also, I mean, just... Uh, you know, pretend to be on your typical American, you know, classroom, mostly white, um, 60% of America is white. And so, you know, you, you see that all around. And, and so what is now sexy is something that's exotic would be a different type of, you know, skin tone. And so people seek for that. It, it goes back to that grass is always greener, I feel like. And the same thing with Asia, though, um, you know, in a lot of ways, Westerners are put on a pedestal uh, thanks to the genius and successfulness of Hollywood and all the, um, the the entertainment industry, but I think, yeah, you know, it definitely has a negative connotation to it in some ways. Yeah, it, it's also just interesting to think about how those means, like marketing as well as just advertisement and media, permeates into people's perspectives, and it really ends up, you know, being the way certain people will start to move into trends or imprint upon, you know, what is the the acceptable way of moving towards something decent or what they believe is going to be an appropriate way of presenting themselves or, in your sense, the good life. (laughs) (laughs) We can have a whole episode just talking about that, the good life. I mean, I'm sure we'll be back at some point. We'll be back. Um, you know, I, well, I appreciate you sharing a little bit of just your background, um, especially, you know, coming to the United States and seeing it from, you know, multiple facets. I think it's really interesting to have that pluralism and that perspective. I think it's important to be able to have um, just um, a little bit larger or a broader uh, stroke of what people might see um, in relationships and what might be the reality of them, depending right. on where you're at. You know, I think right. in uh, the U.S. it's we have um, a lot of freedoms and we have the ability to take agency with how we want to have relationship dynamics. It's fascinating to think about. And just in a country like an Asian country that's more conservative, even the what might be a social taboo of having an interracial couple uh, depending on where you're at. Yeah, Yeah. no, Malaysia is definitely very backwards in that sense. You know, we're just talking about, um, in some ways, just trying to be a little bit more liberal when it comes to relationship. And, and something like interracial is something, it feels like, you know, we're thrown back to the 60s and the 70s where, you know, wow, yeah. interracial couples. And <laughs> But I, you know, I have hopes. I'm always in a, a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you are a stoic. <laughs> uh, another episode. I guess... Some some positive Stoics here and there, yeah, here and there, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, yeah. So Andrew, I am very curious. We talked about Valentine's Day in Malaysia, and there's a lot of discussions to be had with dating and relationships. Do you, Andrew James, have any interesting or funny stories about those experiences or interactions? Oh no! Now, now you're gonna put. <laughs> Now you're gonna put me on spot. Uh, so are are we talking about like dating stories, like funny dating stories? Yeah, Tinder stories, dating, normal dating uh, stories. Uh, am I allowed? Lay down, Bianca. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sharing this story so far. <laughs> it's not it's not about her. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here's a funny story. So this was um, just before the pandemic, actually. Um, so it was early uh winter of what would have been would it be 2020 yeah winter of 2020 so Mm -hmm. um i was 
participating in online dating. So I think I had a Tinder and a Bumble at this point. And, you know, you get some matches here and there. Uh, you try and strike up the conversations. It's that classic, you know, see if the conversation stimulating or if they don't ghost you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, I did, I matched with somebody and we had a really good conversation. It was um, just great dialogue and we were all ready and set to meet. So this girl actually, um, she drove to my apartment where I was. So I was still in grad school at this point. And I had an apartment that was just a little off campus and uh, she drove to the apartment. Um, so she was coming from like an hour and a half out of town. And from there, okay, well, first off, like <laughs> I, I was I was taking this girl like to a nice restaurant, right? Like wow. I was, I was, I, well, you know, I, I, like to, I like to have an impression. I like to make sure, you know, if I'm taking somebody out, it's it's going to be meaningful or it's going to be a nice experience overall. But I'm dressed in a nice button down. Like I have my nice like black slacks on. Ooh. I have I, I work at Clark's. So I had my nice Clark shoes on. I, I, I was ready to go. Like I, I look good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like she came out in like these like dirty white bands and, <laughs> and like these like bell bottom jeans and a pink turtleneck <laughs> and like that's i should not be like this is i don't mean to be condescending or rude to anybody's like image or like what they wear like that's totally somebody's choice and i i have no objections to like how anybody wants to express themselves or how people want to present themselves i was just surprised because like i told this girl like yo we're, we're gonna go like out to a nice place like i'm taking you out <laughs> and it was just like okay like jeans and a turtleneck right <laughs> <laughs> i should not be uh, really critical of that. That That's not fair of me. So we go to dinner and basically, you know, we're having a great conversation. Uh, very sweet person, like very genuine, really authentic. I, I had a lot of, you know, fun just talking to the person, but I just, just was not attracted to this mm. person at, at all, at all. Your, your Darwinian <laughs> instincts or your intellectual instincts? <laughs> um, no, it, it, like intellectually very stimulating, um, profound. Like the, the the person was really uh, just very articulate, and that was very stimulating. But I guess my, as you say, Darwinian, <laughs> uh, they were not about it. <laughs> so, so then, like you know, after dinner, we went back to my place and. Um, we were watching a movie and, you know, I, I wasn't really initiating anything. However, like after the movie, this girl starts getting like all snugged up and I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I set her up on a bed, like a pull out couch bed. <laughs> oh boy. And I feel terrible about it. Cause then like. I went to the other room, Theban, and then I got a text that was a gif saying, like, come snuggle. <laughs> oh, my I gosh. Can't. That is hilarious. Did you pretend you were asleep or did you, did you reply? I didn't reply. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's awful. And I feel so bad. I just feel bad because I'm just like, why didn't you leave? Right. Like, why didn't you go? <laughs> like, like af after, you know, like, I'm not trying to be rude, but like, I think that's just a pretty clear sign that like, you know, we, we had our conversation, we had the, the get together, but like, right. this isn't moving forward. And then she proceeded to stay the night on my futon <laughs> till the next morning. Man. That must be I, some, like, either a comfortable futon or she really, really <laughs> wanted to sleep at your apartment. <laughs> I, I, well, I think also maybe given the travel commute, if she was like an hour and a half out, mm. maybe she would just stay. But anyway. Wow. Yeah, what a story. <laughs> 
I suppose. I suppose. Uh, I st- I still feel bad about it. I just like I I don't know if I was supposed to say something. I mean, it, it like then the next morning she she just left. She was like, "Thank you so much for a great like time." I'm like, "Right." I'm glad you thought it was great. <laughs> um so that was just a very interesting and peculiar date, I suppose. Um, but I am, uh, I'll ask you as well, oh. um, what has your experiences been with dating? Um, maybe specifically like virtual dating and, you know, communication and trying to, um, trying to get a date off of like Tinder or Bumble. Do you have any of those funny, you know, dating app stories and matches? I sure do. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, <clears throat> I have one story. So in 2015, um, mm-hmm. And back then, we had the OG dating app, Tinder. I don't think we had Bumble, Hinge. They might be around. They might have been around, but um, it wasn't as um, good, I guess, for like a better words, as Tinder is. I was. Um, so, yeah. So, Tinder was the go-to app. Um, and I, I matched with a girl in 20, late 2015. And, you know, I came to America early January 2015. So I was still trying to get used to the culture, um, the accent. I had a weird Malaysian, British accent. Well, not British accent, British English, but Malaysian accent. So We love that. <laughs> yeah. Not the cute British accent that people favor here. <laughs> um, but British English, I guess. Nevertheless. It's, it's overrated. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I, we, we matched and we were finding a spot to go. And my fancy dinner spot, you know, was Payway. And for those okay, of right. for those of you northeastern <laughs> listeners who don't know what Payway is, it's basically a, a uh, knockoff PF Chang's. <laughs> now, <laughs> knockoff PF Chang's. That's right. Now, now, real quick, yeah. did this person come in bell-bottom jeans and <laughs> a pink turtleneck? Better. This person oh, came okay. with a joggers. And what? a sweatshirt. <laughs> well, it was payway, right? Okay. And so, right, yeah. but but before that, she was asking me, "So, are you gonna come and uh, pick me up or something?" And I was like, "Oh no, I was thinking we could just meet up there. I have a bike, and I don't think two people would fit on it." <laughs> I didn't have a car at that time. Did did she think that was a line or did, did no she... no I I was I was just I think she was disappointed definitely I did not get any brownie points there uh, for owning a bike and not owning a I, car I think the bike initiation would have been great <laughs> you that know would have been I a great so. way to like you know it, it would be the litmus test right if this girl was willing to meet you as you cycled over to payway like, right exactly yeah you know but at that time I was more of you know, I needed to impress her versus she needed to impress me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe it stems from a more traditional dating scene that I was used to back in Malaysia. Yeah. I hope I'm not opening a whole new can of worms that we can get into. But <laughs> <laughs> to continue the story, you know, so, you know, I was having this date. It's amazing. I assume it was sesame chicken, you know, knocking it out from Payway. We end up talking and you know it's a it's a decent conversation as as what she does, and I think she was uh, of course a basketball player. <laughs> nice, all right. basketball player. Hooves up. That's our uh, that's our <laughs> motto. Hooves up. Um, Wait, what's the mascot? Mascot is a horse, a brown okay. bronco. Uh, ooh, cool. All right, all right. So hooves up because I, well, horseshoe. horses. Yeah, I, I I dated a horse girl. Oh, regretfully. Like, uh, <laughs> Nice. Well, you know, we have to ask the mascot um, as continuity from last week's episode. No, absolutely. And yeah, and, yeah. and just just to um, just to finish this off, because um, there's a good caveat here. Um, so so we, we end up talking and then all of a sudden uh, she was like, oh, then I, I end up saying, you know, I'm from Malaysia, you know, Indian and all that. And she was like, oh, you're Indian. My uncle has a friend who is Indian. He's really close to him. And I was like, oh, great. And I was absolutely curious, right? New guy, new country. Oh, no. What does she mean by this? And then she just paused. <laughs> and then I was like, oh. In my head, I was thinking, I guess me and your uncle would have a lot of comment. Anyway, that was my story. 
<laughs> I have a multiracial friend too. Right. <laughs> Specifically Indian. <laughs> yeah. I I know one other Indian yeah. person yeah. in Oklahoma. <laughs> well, not me. My uncle knows that Indian person. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Oh boy. Oh, well man. us and dating I, stories. Hey, we we've moved on to much better things and just much more compatible people, right? I that's how I would phrase it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Andrew, there is this lingering question in my head about philosophy, history, mm. and Valentine's. Ooh. And Ooh. I was wondering if you could take us to this promised land of uh, promised explaining land. explaining my to people. us getting it <laughs> really getting into the philosophical history andrew kick us off okay oh well there's a lot we can unpack here theban um just out of curiosity like what do you know of valentine's day i'm just curious yeah besides um you know that whole brief history of malaysia and valentine's day i know pretty much that valentine's day was from this pope saint valentine's um, yeah, and yep. for whatever reason, he got famous and he was uh, known for this day of love. That's all I know. Yeah, so there, there's a couple of different stories with St. Valentine. Um, I know that one of them at least is in relation to a, I believe, like a Catholic priest or um, maybe a pope. I, I, pro- I think a priest, but... Um, I guess you're right. I, my bad. I no, no, not to worry. Um, but I believe what he would do was he would marry um, couples in secret, and mm. that was something that he was known as, like you know, a saint for romance or a saint for um, you know matrimony. Uh, I guess from a more religious terminology. Mm. Um, and then I think there was also um, another story of you know similar situation like a catholic priest that would you know write words of the gospel um prior to christian text really becoming a part of you know a canonical sort of religious order it was still um during pagan times of um the roman empire and he would sign like different items for like gospels and different things but he would sign it you know your valentine it would be these these little notes of like scripture and such this could even be what potentially is an account from like a drunk art historian right now the way i might be interpreting this but um that's you know obviously valentine's day is attributed to at least that individual saint valentine depending on what the story is and who's interpreting it there can be multiple perspectives and multiple analysis on what and who valentine was uh similar to like saint nick or uh saint patrick right you know folklore or fantastical tales about these saints as they became more and more popularized. But in relation to the philosophical implications, um, there's a couple of ways we could kind of look at this. And I mean, if you were, were thinking about more so love, would you be interested in like knowing about like various perspectives of ancient philosophers and like what they thought about for love? It's like, you know what I like to hear. (laughs) Please enlighten us. Ooh, ooh. all right. Well, I'm thinking about Plato um, specifically and the idea of Eros. So Eros Mm. is a type of love that Plato describes um, in a a bit of his philosophy. Um, It's slightly more complex um, as, you know, it's inspired philosophy of love in a lot of different types of modern academia. But initially, you know, Eros was uh, known as a form of carnal love, almost like this real passionate or um, like feral desire or like a lust. Eros was really in the sense like this very impulsive, um, very compelling feeling when you were attracted to somebody or another person. So actually, Theban, thinking about, you know, some of our um, terms that we've been using, maybe like a Darwinian instinct, you know, Mm. As it kind of moved into more modern interpretations, most 
I would say academics and theorists would say typically when we feel Eros love, it's through some sort of sexual attraction or um, that sort of arousement. Um, yet thinking about like Plato's original context with this, that that conception can be uh, typically deep into something I think Personally, I think a, a bit more complex. You know, Eros really helps um, the soul remember like the inner beauty of its purest and most ideal forms. Um, and that's really what Eros was originally attributed to was the idea of forms and aesthetics. So thinking about things um, that are of an aesthetic nature and certain value judgments, mm -hmm. or when you are looking at, um, actually this is really great for the art Pop-Tarts, because like when you're looking at a piece of art or when you're looking at a certain form or um, a certain picture in front of you, the compulsion that you feel or the movement that you feel uh, from it is what, you know, this type of eros is, the sensation or experience that you're being exposed to. That's really, you know, I think the eros sort of love or desire and sensation put into a McDonald's Happy Meal <laughs> wow. box real quick. But that's kind of one of the ideas of eros. And also, you know, Eros, when it comes to like lovers or loving somebody, um, it's, you know, trying to bring themselves, like trying to bring yourself to the most ideal place of happiness because you're finding an ideal form of beauty in both of your realities and both of your um, experiences connecting. So it's really such a beautiful concept. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. It seems like yeah. Plato combines what, what's, um, I guess we would use the Darwinian instinct with mm -hmm. uh, more of a um, something intellectual or something more, this is more than just X, what I, I'm seeing as, you know, on, on face value, right? And so that that's, that's a very interesting concept because I guess the concept of love is, is in, a, in a lot of ways very philosophical and it's yeah. hard to interpret and it's very subjective. It's, it's hard to put a definition around it. And I think that's really, when you think about love um, in, that, in that way, I think you, you're hitting the nail on the head with the idea that like love is a certain sensation mm. or the, um, the experience of a sensation based upon the stimulation you're encountering. Mm. You know? And I think when you are trying to deconstruct that, there's a lot of ways you can try and uh, personify it or, or try and uh, cater it to a certain type of process or even a certain type of thinking and inclination of like either an emotional, spiritual, or just um, physical sort of impulse. But love is such a broad concept and it just takes so many different accounts um like even oddly enough i'm thinking about like the theologian c.s lewis mm. who wrote the chronicles of narnia and he talks about the way um in the bible the hebrew bible how love has four definitions uh sometimes five definitions depending on what you know if you're a certain hebrew scholar who's looking at the different translations of love um and this kind of makes me think of like agape love which is this type of selfless love um something that is more of like a nurturing or paternal type of instinct of this kind love is universal and it's attributed to so many kinds of loving relationships but it's more of this idea of like nurturing a certain connection and nurturing a certain sensation because of like a real endearing servitude to a person that you care about. And that's kind of this idea of like agape love. You're pouring out yourself in this service and uh, this sort of mm -hmm. um, appealing to want to be there for somebody. So that's kind of thinking about like some of the more biblical or re religious ideas of um, love or love and that, that sort of philosophical canon. Right. But, I think also, if we are to talk about Plato, we should talk about Aristotle, right? Oh, we've got to. <laughs> we've got to. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, um, with like Aristotle and Nicomachean ethics um, is really where you're going to see a lot of those ideas of relationships and the ideas of love and um, thinking about passion and thinking about friendship. So, philia. Philia means love. 
the idea of philosophy is a love of Sophia, which is knowledge or insight or sophist, right? The sophist are the knowledge holders. Mm -hmm. So filial, love, Sophia, knowledge, love of knowledge, philosophy, just in case you there wanted you some et etymology in this art pop tart. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> with that um you know philia love uh is really kind of this relation relationship uh between lifelong friends um it could be in religious society it could be in fellowship it could just be in the bond that's created in these sort of mutual connection and even the discourse of um this connection but being in a shared experience so when Aristotle talks a lot about love or friendships in Nicomachean ethics, he's referring to the state or the polis, which is, you know, the central area within a city sort of environment. So a lot of his ideas were really trying to attribute to political life or the idea of like, let's say, Theban, if you and I were senators uh, for ancient Athens, but we were adamantly opposed to each other's views, we could still have a very interesting bond and friendship. You know, um, so there's this sort of mutual affection and also mutual exchange of um, respect for one another. And, you know, together you're willing to wait for one another. You're willing to be patient with one another and be invested in still having interest in somebody because you're always trying to put your best self forward for this um, this genuine friend you have. So that's kind of some ways philia works in Aristotle's definitions and such so. yeah and and <clears throat> this these are all very interesting points i i guess i'm curious have you heard of the buddhist uh definition or way of love called metta yeah you have? so okay good are you like talking about the meditation practices of metta or more so like the like reciting of metta because i think there's a lot of ways where metta comes into um the practice of generosity or this sort of um patience and um giving or just the sort of yielding to uh other folks is that what you're kind of relating to or yeah it, it, it's really both of what you just said it's it's really a um sort of a meditation really a selflessness sort of love so i, I can i can sort of walk you through briefly on how the meditation yeah. would work right so you you would start out the meditation just, you know, closing your eyes. Instead of um, thinking about your regular uh, meditate, mindful meditation that mm -hmm. maybe some of the viewers have been exposed to, as it has been famous in the last couple of years or so in America. So you'd close your eyes and then you'd imagine uh, someone that it's easy to, to, to feel love for. So it doesn't have to be your significant other. It could be... Uh, you know, your mom, your dad, uh, the person down the grocery store you, that you always say hi to. Um, yeah. And then you just wish them well and wish them happy. And then you keep focusing on that notion and you just try your best not to get distracted from thoughts. And you think about that. And then you graduate into think about someone who it's harder to, to love. You know, someone you may have ill feelings to. Maybe not right away, you know, someone who... It's super hard, you know, if you were in an abusive relationship, try not to go there. Maybe start with something easier and then work your way there eventually. And then you, you wish them well and wish them happy, you know. Just truly feel that that's what you want them to, to be, well and happy, right? The complete yielding of your implicit biases towards people, too. And, and th that's the beautiful part, how it ends, really, because you would think it's selfless, and and once th the last part of metta usually ends with yourself. Take the last minute or three minutes, however long you're meditating, and now wish those things for yourself, you know? Hmm. And, and that's where it should start. It should start from yourself. You have to love yourself first before you could radiate it out to other people, right? Yeah, yeah. And what it really gives is it gives you a peace of mind. And it's such a beautiful notion of love where we're really extending love's arms to every human being in this world. And it harps back on the notion of kindness and compassion should be shared with the world, but you have to start with yourself. I I really feel like I resonate with that 
it actually kind of reminds me of, um, I was telling you, I, I think I've told you before how when mm -hmm. I was living in China, um, I was predominantly studying economics and finance, but every single weekend as a religious studies and philosophy major, I was in a monastery or a temple. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I was actually uh, able to sit at a temple in Chengdu, which is in the Sichuan province of China. And we were with a yogi uh, from Nepal. And there was also um, the, I guess, one of the monks in the, of the monastery leading the mm. um, guided meditation or just meditation practice at that time. But just talking to both of them, I was talking to the yogi and he was saying, you know, my religion is, I love you, you love me. I love you, you hate me, I still love you. Right. And I think, you know, thinking about the way even religion kind of works in these ideas of sacrifice or sentiment and, and service, the idea of love in general is this concept of almost this unconditional stance of acceptance and warmth towards your fellow, you know, your fellow neighbor and making sure that there's still a sort of yielding to even if you have certain frustrations and you're imprinted in some sort of negativity, you still come to these things in a very authentic and open sort of demeanor when you're encountering any sort of person. You know, you don't come with it with any sort of bias. You don't come with it with any preconceived notion. You accept it in that sort of yielding state, right? Yeah, and, and no, absolutely. And you would think it's, oh, you're trying to do good for others. And that's, to be honest, that's the point, right? But the goal really is to, the irony is actually you're helping yourself. You know, the Buddha says holding on to anger is like holding on to hot coal. At the end of the mm -hmm. time, at the end of the day, you are the <laughs> one who's, you know, end up getting hurt the most. And and, and that's absolutely true when, when, you, when you, for example, you know, you're driving in the car and all of a sudden someone comes in front of you, right? I, I catch myself doing that, right? And all of a sudden, you know, you, your endorphins are going 100 miles an hour figuratively and sometimes literally. And, you know, and, and obviously you're like, whoa, this person just came in front of me and you go on to, you know, in your head and sometimes verbally just say, how dare that person? And then, you know, you go on and on. And it's, it's, it's important to recognize that and stop that process versus you know keep uh harboring on that same point and sort of yeah. making your whole day bad well i think it's also interesting because you you kind of are bringing it back to i think a little bit of the scientific aspects of it you know mm. we are we're animals at the very core you know by our nature we're animals so we're very reactive right. you know so as soon as a negative stimulus comes about it's either that fight or flight sort of mentality right and in that we have such a such an inclination to act upon that almost urge or impulse very quickly and these types of practices or at least these types of ways of trying to nurture your mind as well as nurture your perspectives on love and compassion really make you have to deconstruct what you're getting upset about you know, because like as you're getting upset about somebody in traffic, right? you can start to deconstruct that and be like, well, why am I driving when this might be a 10 minute commute if I just walk there? You know, is it because I wanted to get parking and I could drive back? And there's so many other factors to it. And this is, you know, in Buddhism, this is the idea of like we have to extend out of all these different conditional apparatuses to really find that no self in the idea that. You know, we're getting frustrated at a person who came in front of you, but they also are trying to rush to the exactly. same place. And and if you're getting frustrated, that means you're also trying to rush, right? Right. And and we always you have, know? you know, again, it's that Darwinian instinct <clears throat> of us, that fight <laughs> or flight that we that has made us survive till this very day, as as in Homo sapiens, right? Yeah. And, and and those who actually react to those stressful situations end up, for lack of a better word, surviving. Um, and, and so, but it doesn't, again, I go back to, it doesn't lead us to lead the good life because, you know, we end up harping on those things and we make our day worse. Yeah. Did you Very have anything good. else you wanted to linger on the topic of yeah. love and philosophy? 
Ooh, well, I, I think we need to have some um, lady thinkers in uh, this conversation, too. So I did actually pull some quotes, and I, I just kind of want to see what you think about some of these items as well. So Let's do it. Um, you know, Judith Butler kind of talks about love is not a state, a feeling, a disposition, but an exchange, uneven, fraught with history, with ghosts, with longings that are more or less legible to those who try to see one another with their faulty vision. And I think this is really kind of honing in on that um, humbling pursuit to really trying to make sure we're looking at people in an authentic perspective and a very genuine and a very holistic process. Andrew, I'm not going to lie, that all went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's let's go with Simone de It's Beauvoir. been a long Friday. <laughs> or wait, Tuesday, right? <laughs> so let's, says, let's try this know, one the, the next one yeah okay Simone de Beauvoir. let's try it so uh the best kind of love is authentic love uh to love authentically involves respecting one another's freedom being tender and caring and supporting each other's independent projects Beauvoir um argues that lesbian relationships and friendships point to ways in which you know we can transcend the bounds of traditional loving roles and expectations and realize something closer to what might be, you know, her ideal sort of uh, concept of mature, reciprocal, non-sadistic and non-misogynistic uh, mutual respect uh, by really extending out of these norms. And um, as I think we've had conversations about this, you know, as we mm. become less confined to traditions because we just are becoming more sophisticated in our processes and the ways we can have the ability to interact with people. There's almost, I feel, a certain moral obligation to be able to extend those realities to provide for the intersections of all types of love, right? Yeah, and, and really what brought me to attention was uh, Beauvoir was talking about lesbian relationships and friendships i'm curious is that because uh, males are more prone to you know our darwinian instincts <laughs> compared to uh, females and and is, is that why that that was articulated I, I think it could be that i think you know also there is a a long legacy in history of just mm. the privilege men have you know just in society and in cultures that attribute to a lot of the just disparity that various aspects to constructions of rules and mm. regulations and what we have in legislation right now you know um just thinking about lawmakers in alabama like all of this comes into play and i think you know now that we have more sophisticated knowledge and insights into these perspectives um, specifically in relation to a lot of um, gay and queer understandings and um, mm. the theoretical frameworks and ideas that are coming out of those um, areas, we need to now account for the ways we can provide love in all of these facets, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so, you know, we have some time but um i was thinking maybe we can take a little break <laughs> and when we come back maybe we talk a little bit more of like the commercialization of valentine's what do you think that sounds good and here's where we cue Everybody, so um, 
transitioning from our very deep and philosophical thoughts uh, that Theban and I love to just banter about, we will go to um, Bianca and Gianna's relatives' houses and we'll be sitting on the couch <laughs> for like three hours right. and everybody's like, you have to come in and socialize with everyone else. <laughs> so we get in trouble for this a lot. <laughs> Not just that, and I just feel bad. Sometimes the conversations we get into are super fascinating for me, on my end at least. And of course, But it yeah. sounds very in some ways heated and people think like what's I think people think that what's happening with those guys there are they like getting into an argument no no it's this is the most passionate this is the beautiful passionate intellectual argument that we get into it's the the philia that we have for each other it's the philia it's it's wanting to at least on my end it's just wanting to listen to a different side of the story and and wanting to get to the objective reality truth (laughs) <laughs> of course, objective reality, truth is all we want here. Right. So, Thieven, you know, you're a finance guy. Am I? <laughs> I, 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 I guess I, I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some finance stats, and I just wanted to run those through with you and just see, like, if any surprise you. I'm just curious. I wanted to – I just want to entertain myself with what you might think with some of these. Yeah. So, like, after I go through these, maybe we, we can even talk about, you know, like, just – the financials and commercialization of Valentine's. Let's do it. All right. So, Theban, um, you know, according to Wallet Hub, people spend on average $164 on Valentine's Day. And this is um, a study from uh, 2021. This equals a total spending of almost $22 billion. You know, Hallmark will offer approximately uh, 100 or 491 different types of cards in their stores. That's so much printing. That's like just so much con- content. Um, waste. And <laughs> Hopefully <what>? not waste. <laughs> I feel like it's probably waste. <laughs> um, in addition to this, um, $23.9 billion um, is the total Valentine's Day spending projected for 2022. And this is moving the um, amount spend, spent per person uh, to ten dollars more, so we're looking at one hundred and seventy-five dollars per person celebrating. Um, another very interesting stat, and I'll be curious what you think about this: um, men will spend almost twice as much as women will on average with Valentine's Day. So, um, two hundred and thirty-five dollars is typically the average that men spend, as compared to uh, women who spend one hundred and nineteen. Is that accurate for you? That that seems that seems like it, right? We we, we want to yeah. think that America, in some ways, what's that's harping on is, uh, you know, men were still in some sort of a traditional relationship, uh, kind of uh, uh, phenomenon. Although you know, uh, looking at how much women spend, I guess you know, men spend almost twice what women spend on on Valentine's yeah. Day. Um, so that that makes sense. But but also to the, um, you know, the previous stat. Uh, $23.9 billion in spending just for Valentine's Day for one day event. One day. That that makes sense, right? Because first of all, that's that's what's driving the American economy. I, I It just feels like a lot for just one day and then it's done. Yeah. Man, it, it makes sense. I mean, it, it's it's what you would do on a, a good date night out, right? You, you were fancy, I, yeah, fancy yeah. slacks. I, I just want to pay away. <laughs> but man, <laughs> th- that is also because I, I only owned a bike. <laughs> and so it'd be it'd be weird to wear like a fancy outfit and then ride on a bike <laughs> to pay away. Yeah, yeah. But um an interesting fa- fact um you know specifically in relation to our sort of online dating uh history, mm-hmm. 26% um of marriages are now sharing the beginning of occurring from being online. So I thought that was a really interesting fact now that they um, pulled from 2021. Yeah, I I thought that, you know, that's pretty, that's accurate, right? And I think the world is only going to get more and more, um, for lack of better words, online dating. You know, it's going to be a more prevalent thing, how people meet. And actually, funny, I have a quick story, actually. I had a, a, a girl that I dated on Tinder. And, you know, it went well. I thought, conversations were good and thought we were hitting it off went a couple of dates and then all of a sudden she said oh this this is not gonna go anywhere right i mean we met on tinder of course it's not gonna go anywhere and and it at that time i didn't really have an answer but now i'm like that's pretty sad right you you have a notion on how you're supposed to meet 
the significant other, you know, one beautiful fine day at this park when the birds are chirping and the sun is just barely hitting my face. I, I went to reach uh, for uh, something in the pond and all of a sudden this guy touched, grazed my hands and that's how we met. That's obviously not this, the case for well, anyone. It's, it's interesting. It's almost like it's, it's become the opposite. You know, people are very... Like, at right. least from what I've seen, at least what Gen Z yeah. maybe, and I might be making a, a broad generalization here, but it just seems like, you know, meeting people in real life or meeting people at the bar or mm. at a club right. just doesn't seem as feasible or realistic anymore. And that also can have uh, many vari- variables. That could be the pandemic. That could just be um, the way uh, younger, uh, young adults are communicating these days, but yeah, it just seemed it seemed interesting to see that you know, tw- like, over twenty five percent of marriages at this point are now beginning online. is pretty pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah, and and I wonder, like, you know, we're we're currently the youngsters, and you know, when once we get old, our generation gets old. All of a sudden, I wonder if you know we will be like frowning upon people who met on the metaverse. Oh, you met in the metaverse? <laughs> what? You know, during my day, we had this dating app, and that was how people do it. it's always reaching for modernity i suppose yeah well said (laughs) so theban um another really interesting fact especially uh, given the online dating items that we've kind of been talking about so far between february 1st and february 14th there is an overall 33 percent increase in online dating activity for such a small window that two-week window Mm. That's fascinating. I wonder if that is due to people just feeling alone. FOMO. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people know what FOMO is. Uh, yeah. Is it FOMO <laughs> or is it just, you know, people just want to have something to do that day? You know, I hope it's not that, right? People just want to have something to do that day so that they can show the world, maybe themselves more deeply, that they have yeah. something or someone to, to be with. I wonder if dating apps have any promotions during this time. I'm too. sure they do. I'm sure they're <laughs> they'll leech onto this this There's fantastic opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, but it makes sense though, right? You know, if you're a business and that's what you do, you know, thirty. You, you see that stat, thirty three percent increase. You definitely want more traction. And in terms of more traction, you'll have. I'm assuming on a business perspective, you'll have more companies come in and market stuff like you know buy flowers uh, an online flower delivery app you know for example you know that, that would be mm-hmm. such a yeah, good marketing yeah. for um a, a online dating app you for know? sure for sure um i think this is my final stat ah. um so i'm sorry <laughs> i should have i should have came with more uh. <laughs> <laughs> so um this is actually very very interesting and um we can kind of unpack this a little bit further we can lead this into i guess a sort of wrap-up conversation yeah so um 58 percent of americans say that romantic gestures are more important to them now than they were pre-pandemic hmm i'm interesting what do you mean by romantic gestures I, I guess that would probably mean like maybe buying flowers or uh, maybe like gift giving, um, potentially uh, providing either sentimental cards. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, um, but I, I would suppose like romantic gestures might even be, um, you know, the way you uh, had the Airbnb when you went out to uh, Arkansas. Right. You know? Yeah. So things like that, I would suppose, are maybe what this pre-pandemic or interim pandemic right there's no post experience yeah there is no post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i you know i don't know that's that one stat that you have there that not to say it doesn't make sense but i'm, I'm more curious why is that why do you think that is um yeah I, i'm curious if maybe people feel like the idea of pre-pandemic maybe getting into relationships or making connections where was a little bit easier mm. as i was saying earlier you know um thinking about just communication now with young adults it's it's not monolithic but i was saying that it seems like most of that happens within virtual spaces you know so when those virtual spaces and those interactions are happening in that that forum 
um, thinking about, you know, how isolatory that might have felt mm-hmm. while being in the pandemic. It might be that a romantic gesture really does stimulate um, a romantic experience or relationship if you are either just, you know, beginning a relationship during this time or possibly uh, just working through stuff because everybody almost has such a null or it's been so um, stagnant with any sort of stimulation or trips or activities happening during the pandemic that something like this may feel really fulfilling or provide a lot of experience and uh, positivity when engaging with something like that. So I'm guessing that that's my... That is my scientific hypothesis. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense to me yeah. after okay. we laid All it right. that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Thieven, yeah, thank you so much for um, processing some of those stats. Next time when we talk, I'll have some more stats for us to engage and we can start to dissect some of those things and see what we're thinking. But um, I guess, you know, as we're wrapping up this episode, uh, I was just curious, what what are you actually going to be doing for yeah. Valentine's Day and this weekend? Yeah. Great question. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Valentine's is on a Tuesday, and my boss for Christmas gave me a $100 gift card to a really nice steak place. And um, wow. so I guess, and they have this thing called a Tomahawk Tuesday, I believe, the last I checked. And it's something like, I don't know. We love indigenous terminology. Is, is, is that what it is? Oh, boy. <laughs> no, you're, I mean, <laughs> it, it makes sense, Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I hope it's accurate if the owner is, you know, indigenous. We'll Either see. way. Um, so we're, we're doing that. I didn't know. Thanks for uh, bringing that to light. But so we're doing that. We're also celebrating our five years of dating. Wow. And Andrew, guess oh, what date did we, you know, I guess officially... Uh, you know, said well, yeah. Officially, start dating in in uh, mm. American terms. <laughs> oh man! So wait, like what date? Like like what? Actually... What is what else? Uh, so the, February the twelfth is when I was gonna say it was the Super Bowl, correct? Close, close. Oh, yeah. Was it the day before the Super Bowl? I know the Super Bowl is significant because Bianca always says right. that Lady Gaga was performing that's right. for the Super Bowl, and that was the first time she met you. Andrew, is that correct? That's right. It is the. <laughs> it is actually the day, February the twelfth. Look this up, folks. Is Lincoln's birthday? Abraham oh, Lincoln. Oh boy. <laughs> my man crush, my favorite president. <laughs> I thought I oh, thought my. I let that out. Let the world know. You're, you're, yep. So Mom, now- Dad, you're hearing. You know? The audience is going to be an uproar. They're going to be like, don't have these two on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. What hey, about you, Andrew? You know. what, what are you doing? So, yeah, um, I am very excited. I get to escape work a little bit. So, um, you know, being cooped up in um, the college at Emerson has been really good. I work at Emerson College, for folks who don't know, um, and I work in residence life. So I manage a uh, residence hall with about 500-something undergraduates, which can be very fun, but also uh, very tiring at some time. (laughs) So um, I was able to get a little bit of a getaway, and we actually are hiking it up to Vermont, um, and we're taking a nice, lovely um, weekend trip up to Vermont in a little cabin, uh, which is kind of um, right in South Burlington. And we're going to be doing Burlington. Um, We have a brew tour scheduled, so we're doing four breweries, and uh, we get about like 16 different... um, taste test um, for all the different types of brews we're going to be having. We're going to the Teddy Bear Museum. We're going to be checking out the Ben and Jerry's factory and the Flavor Graveyard. So it should be a lot of fun. I'm hoping to meet my Man Crush Monday and my favorite not president, Bernie (laughs) Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, I I didn't know you... You both were doing that. That that sounds yeah. that you are totally contributing to all these averages being really high. <laughs> oh, I, I I most definitely am. I I, I am definitely part of the percentile oh, that boy. have 
ha- that have made the right. uh, $10 increase for well, sure. <laughs> I, if, if I've heard anything about Vermont, is it's nothing but a beautiful, breathtaking place. So Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. We're doing it kind of in the off-season, but not totally off-season because Vermont's kind of known to be like a snowy tourist destination right. too so because of all the skiing so we might be able to just like maybe see some of the ski resorts and see like some of the folks on the slopes that'd be pretty cool but um yeah i'm really excited um and then we may try and get to uh, montpellier as well Ooh. which is um further down the highway um which is the capital but i think it's relatively small so there's not too much i think to do there but we definitely want to at least get as much as we can done in Vermont as possible. Ooh. We're so close to um, Montreal too, so oh, yeah. I might I might bring my passport, but you might I, you might see some truckers there. Yeah, <laughs> we most definitely would. Um, uh, but <laughs> we'll save. I don't think we'll, we'll save that there. for another episode, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, Thieven, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate you. doing this with you. And I hope um, we were at least somewhat entertaining. We don't have to be as entertaining as Gianna and Bianca, but hopefully everybody got to enjoy the episode. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, again, I, I go back to my biggest fear. We'll, we'll hit pause and we'll do some editing with the videos here and nothing will be heard. <laughs> Correct. I'll be like, oh, no. So everything... <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Well, Bianca and Gianna will be back next week for y'all. Yeah. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye. And stop, right? Art Pop Talk's executive producers are me, Bianca Martucci-Fink. And me, Gianna Martucci-Fink. Music and sounds are by Josh Turner, and photography is by Adrian Turner. And our graphic designer is Sid Hammond.